Welcome to Warhorn Media's podcast of Out of Our Minds blog posts. This is episode 81. It's titled The Kindness of the Lord, the County Supervisor. It's number 19 in a series. It's by Tim Bailey. I'm your reader. And it's dated May 1st, 2023. The story of the county supervisor needs to be filled out more. You'll remember she was a search committee member who hosted her committee's interview of Mary Lee and me in her very comfortable home, and that as the interview began, she demonstrated she was sharp as a tack. If I'd killed my mother, she'd assume I had a good reason. Then, a few weeks into our call there in Wisconsin serving her church, she called to tell me of the Sunday school teacher who had taught that Mormons were Christians. As we settled in and time passed, we came to trust her judgment. She was no flatterer and demonstrated serious spiritual commitment. My first year preaching, one Sunday morning, she came to me after worship holding a very thick volume she wanted to lend me. She said my sermon the previous week had reminded her of a sermon preached by Charles Spurgeon on the same text. Might I enjoy reading it? Up to that point, I'd never read a Spurgeon sermon, and so I said I'd like to borrow the volume, one among many volumes of Spurgeon sermons, and I took it home to find out what Spurgeon had done with a text I'd had a hack at. I'd read quite a bit of Edwards, including a number of sermons, but with Edwards, one can, in a way, find his superiority reassuring. Reading his sermons, you may well think, No, I can't write or preach a sermon anywhere near as deep and helpful as this. As a matter of fact, not even in the same universe. But Edwards is Edwards, and I'm not. He's brilliant, and I'm not. Then there are some of us who think, you know, I had to work really hard to understand that sermon. I wonder whether his own congregation understood his sermons. What a mind. When you finish a sermon by Edwards, if you're at all like me, you may be overwhelmed by the brilliance of his philosophical mind. There's a reason Yale has produced a critical series of volumes containing his oeuvre, 26 volumes so far, with the most recent selling for $138. Few of us have to convince ourselves our minds don't dwell in the same universe. So we don't waste our time envying him. It's similar with Turretin and Owen. But Spurgeon, his intellect is not of Edward's parading sort. It's not nearly as pretentious. I might actually label it accessible except for the fact that when I finished reading the sermon on the text I'd had a hack at, 
I felt like shooting myself. So many windows provided to take a different and helpful view of the text. So many illustrations perfectly placed and stated. So many humble helpfuls. An overwhelming number of humble helpfuls. After reading this first Spurgeon sermon of my short life, I wondered why I would ever write my own sermon. I despaired of my usefulness and began to wonder what would be wrong with my reading Spurgeon sermons from my pulpit each Lord's Day morning the rest of my life. I tell you the truth. Sorry, but I'm not going to continue down this path. I was demoralized. But I recovered and only read a Spurgeon sermon one Sunday morning in worship following that awakening. There are reasons not to preach the sermons of the past giants of the faith, but I'm not going to go into it here. Just don't do it. God has called you to shepherd your sheep, and the shepherd who doesn't prepare the feed for his flock is abdicating his responsibility. Of course, this, shall we call it, Spurgeon awakening only led me to trust my county supervisor more. But as Dad used to say, truth and time walk hand in hand. And nowhere is time more revelatory than in the matter of the souls of the sheep. Ask any pastor who has loved a flock or two how many of his ewes, lambs, and rams have shocked him as the years passed, both positively and negatively. And he'll tell you it's one of the most sobering things about pastoral ministry. You can think one person is hopeless, and then God's Holy Spirit acts, and it's astounding. You can think one person is a spiritual giant, and then he withers and fades. After a while, becoming Chesterton's half-Christian, who has gone mad and become the anti-Christian. Sadly, our county supervisor ended up opposing God, his word, and his church. It happened this way. In time, this series will begin to chronicle the battle against sodomy in our denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, back in the 80s, preceding our battle against sodomy in the Presbyterian Church in America 30 to 40 years later. In the end, this battle was the cause of our churches leaving our denomination, transferring into the Presbyterian Church in America. But a couple years before this cataclysmic moment in the life of our parish, there was an election in our county in which we were to vote for a judge to fill a judicial vacancy. Readers will remember this wealthy woman was a county supervisor, and naturally, I asked her what her recommendation was for this judicial position. My inquiry came right after one of those running for the position announced that he was in favor of repealing laws against sodomy. And keep in mind that this was back in the mid-80s. At the time, most states had anti-sodomy laws. So for a candidate for the judiciary to announce he was in favor of repealing these laws was the bleeding edge of democratic progressivism, as they would like to call it. 
It would be another 15 years before the theology and ethics professor at the PCA's own Covenant Theological Seminary publicly called for the repeal of all sodomy laws across our nation in an interview published in Christianity Today. And there's a link there to that documentation. So what was her recommendation? My most esteemed county supervisor, who had asked me to correct the Sunday school teacher who declared Mormons were Christians, and who had loaned me a volume of Charles Haddon Spurgeon's sermons, responded to my inquiry by stating that she would vote for the judicial candidate who wanted to repeal sodomy laws. This was one of the most disheartening things that ever transpired in my first call. It was devastating. I had so respected this woman, but now what? I asked her how she could support him while confessing Jesus Christ, and she responded that she thought, quote, gays, unquote, should not be treated badly, that they should have civil rights too. I'm not going to spend time here responding to such inanities, which have become constant across social media today, and which she would rejoice to see shared by the most conservative Reformed and Presbyterian Christians in North America now. Anyone wanting to read why such statements are faithless and unloving can find loads of instruction we have written over almost 20 years now, particularly in our book, The Grace of Shame, Seven Ways the Church Has Failed to Love Homosexuals. But keep firmly in mind that this was not 2023, or 2020, or 2015, or 2010, or 2005, or 2000, or 1995, or 1990. This was the mid-1980s, and my most esteemed county supervisor was stating her considered position that, quote, gays, unquote, should be allowed to do what they wanted, sexually, and that the law should not prevent them doing what they wanted, sexually. That thing God himself says is, quote, an abomination, unquote. As I said, I was demoralized. It was so discouraging to see this intelligent civil authority sitting under my preaching of God's word weekly, and yet caving to the rabid gay lobby. It was the end of my trusting her spiritually. Sure enough, a few years later, when our denomination turned to endorsing the acceptance of sodomites as church members and officers, and our elders called our Yoke Parish to leave the Presbyterian Church USA, transferring into the Presbyterian Church in America, my county supervisor voted against the unanimous recommendation of the elders of the combined churches. And with a few souls, she convinced by her magisterial influence and authority, she stayed back with the pagan Presbyterian Church USA. But more about that later. The thing to remember is that concerning our Lord's parable 
of the seeds in the soil. One in four of the seeds produces fruit. Only one in four. This is a rude awakening to those of us who serve as shepherds of God's sheep. Pray for us. Encourage us. Love us. Hold our arms up when we grow weary. It's so disheartening. Thank you for listening. Do us a favor and subscribe to this podcast. Two, tell your friends they can now subscribe to audio recordings of Warhorn Posts. We depend on you as our only marketing. Until our next post, stay warm or cool, depending on where in the world you live. Devote yourself to loving your neighbor and love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. This is Tim Bailey saying thank you for giving us a listen. Goodbye. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Proudly the wicked pursues the poor. By his own plots, Lord, let him be surprised. Rise up, O Lord.